Hello everyone! Welcome aboard to Thundercode's non-profit Digital Voyage, a show where we talk about tech, social and public good, and how you can get involved. I'm your host, Timelia, and I hope everyone can sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. If you're ready, let's set sail! And now, on to our episode. Hello everyone, welcome to today's episode. I am joined today by two guests, one of which is one of the co-founders of Thunderfoot and one the assistant lead developer of TQ. So gentlemen, would you please introduce yourself to the listeners? Technically, Fazan is not, not the assistant lead developer now, but... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just got it from LinkedIn, so... <laughs> yeah, he's now... He's uh, now he's the uh, he'll be he'll be there. He's actually the. What's your role again? Ah, uh? <laughs> it's very long. Okay, time. okay, let me yeah yeah. Kevin, send me that. Um, <laughs> hold on. Okay. Um, acting assistant director of tech for good innovation. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so I'm the director of operation operations. Communications and tech, and he's the he's the assist, acting assistant director of uh, tech, tech for good tech, tech for good innovation. Yeah. yeah. Is this like a recent change, like since the last time? Just like yes, even. It's quite, it's quite recent. Yeah, it's quite. Yeah. Ah, okay. So, maybe update your LinkedIn, maybe. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Uh, shall we? Shall right. we? Shall we? Shall we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Screw it. Start again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. This is more. Uh, conversationally yeah just don't worry about it it's fine (laughs) so i guess we can start off like what do you guys like can you talk us through what you guys do every day i mean like like what's an average day in tq for you guys maybe like one by one start okay so because i i'm involved in a lot of the communication side so a lot a lot of communications talking to charities talking to stakeholders within the charities so i do a lot of interviews actually so Mm, a lot of times it's me like get, getting in front of my computer, attending video calls, talking through, understanding and interviewing. Kind of like doing, I, I would like, I would say like kind of like doing counseling like that. So it's like getting <laughs> the, getting, getting the charities to share about their problems and what, and then after that, looking into how we can come to the solution together using digital means. So I'm, I, my role is more of an advisory role. So it's more of a, more like I say, it's a consultant role. There's, there's actually a majority of my work now, actually. Then that's during the daytime. Then during my free time is when I, I start doing a bit more of the operations side. So uh, I do need to do like, for example, making sure that the reports, everything are, cor- are done properly, I guess, making signatures and things like that. And I also still continue to help out with the, the, the software development side. So provide advice or if there's a need to come in to help to do some coding pair programming with some of our, our developers in the team. Now. So it's a, it's a bit of a mix of both for that. Mm. Yeah. Alright. Hasan? Okay, yeah. So my role would be, um, if you can think of it this way, it's like I'm most more towards the, well, both actually the front and the back, like front facing to the clients as well as you know the second part that you said um the back part of the uh the process i would be 
mainly the the second part the the like behind the behind the scenes scenes kind of guy yeah like so i help out with with those kind of things um right now mainly um development uh as well as uh helping out like the team members basically uh i was uh due to like some uh recent changes um i'm more involved in um taking care of like the product team along with uh Nuro which is the uh assistant to Emil mm-hmm. so um yeah a lot a lot of it uh involves uh trying to solve uh problems that are faced by the team at least the product team and making sure that things are going smoothly and checking in on them if if they have any problems and uh yeah it's mainly mainly those things so would you consider yourself to be more client facing or like more you know like you mentioned behind the scenes uh behind the scenes but uh the the interaction with clients would be when i join in meetings but even then like mainly emil would do like the talking and then after that we, uh is the you know the the development part yeah i'll, I'll help out with with those uh sections mm. okay so i guess like for emil is a bit more of the opposite and would you say that like because you said you do both right but like would you say like you're more towards like in client facing or are you more towards like doing your own stuff behind the scenes there with the development and all that uh right now my role is a lot more client facing so even within the product team so i do a lot of requirements gathering a lot of uh because actually my background is actually in psychology right so i actually i actually um do for example in my call in my in my study and how i did the things beforehand i actually had a lot of exposure to how the social service sector deals with cases where um your clients have certain problems whether it's uh, adolescents that you've you've at risk whether it's a general family issues things or things so i can kind of like speak the same language as the as the some of the social workers as well and understand some of the some of the concerns they have with regard to casework and in regard to stuff so this is one of one of the things i do right and at the same time because i am have technical background i can kind of translate that into how technology can solve some of these problems or can help to you know make it easier to do some of the tracking and some of the service delivery um benefits that they want they're looking at as well mm. okay Actually, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that you studied psychology, sorry, because I wanted to ask, like, like you know, like you mentioned you studied psychology and also Fazan, you studied, what was it you mentioned? Was it geology? Yeah, I studied geology. Yeah, so, yeah. So I was, like, wondering, like, um, you know, aside from, again, like, you mentioned, like, more client-facing jobs and, like, the consultancy tasks and all that, like, you guys are still involved in tech in the product development, like, considering, like, just how... I would say like quite different. Your your fields of studying with like your venture your your field of work right now. Like what made you go into your current line of work right now? Mm. My case was um well, I I I really knew how to programming and stuff even before I did my uni course. Like more of a side 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 hobby thing. So and during my course of my uni, sometimes I would use it to do, run some some of the automation side. For example, like when I did study psychology, there was 
some element of programming involving for stats as well because you need to do it for to actually run statistical analysis. Mm-hmm. So there's some part of what I did, I guess. Then, I mean, Kevin is my schoolmate, so we <laughs> bumped into each other. He was like, "Oh, I got some some ideas." And it's like, "Okay, let's let's just try doing it." And generally, yeah, lah. Like him. <laughs> so yeah. try different ideas, and I and I end up kind of being stuck with him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And because generally, I feel that my role in any place is basically to fill up what's left, what's needed. Mm. Right. So I mean, tech is not the only thing I know how to do. Right, I can do design. I can do a lot of different things, right? And write a bit, of, even a bit of writing here and there. So, um, so right now, I guess my my role really is to see what's missing and and contribute to it, lah. Yeah. So you're sense. like a so you're like a jack of all trades, lah. Would you consider yourself that? Yeah. Yeah. Pasan. Um. Okay. For my case, I yeah study geology, and. I actually wanted to study IT before, mm. um, but um, yeah, had a lot of like talks with my family, and yeah, uh, the conclusion was yeah, I studied geology after that because of uh, some recommendations. But right. yeah, it was never it never left my uh, my I would say like a passion slot. Because like that's what I, I truly like to do. I did a bit of programming before, but it was just like as a very like side, small hobby kind of thing. Mm. And I wanted to do that because you know it became a hobby for a reason because I like doing. And um, yeah, I studied geology and ended up working as an engineering geologist for about two years. And during that time. Uh, one of my last projects was something that is not really re- related to geology, which is uh, the mineral and geoscience department of Selangor. They wanted uh, an internal system. Basically, uh, what I did, funnily enough, was exactly like what we're doing here. I interviewed them and tried to digitalize their their process. So by creating an internal system, whereas like before they were doing it with pen and paper. Hmm. So yeah, they were having trouble with that, keeping up with the large volume of requests and people checking in. Basically developers, what it, what it is, is the like land developers, if they want to develop uh, a land or like a place, they need to have the permission by the mineral and geoscience department so they need to make requests you know with supporting documents and that are provided by geologists right. before they are allowed to to do the development but they were doing it with pen and paper at that time mm-hmm. and yeah they wanted to digitalize it because it was very hard for them to keep track and like find which file belongs to what there were they have like a thousand requests every year so mm-hmm. yeah, definitely, it's not meant for a manual job, and yeah, so yeah, imagine. yeah, it was it was tough for them. So they engaged us because like um, the founders of the the com- the company that I worked for was like friends with the director of that you know geoscience department. So they were just discussing, and it became into a project. So um, yeah, I helped. Uh, I suggested them to create like a, a web, a simple web. App, which uh, 
I found out recently that they are still using. So I'm like, I'm really, <laughs> yeah, you know, like it, it was. Proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though, like at that time, it wasn't really something that is, um, like up to like the industry standard, because right. I self learned and I didn't know a lot of things. But when I came in Tanukot, Emil has helped me like tremendously to know like how to do things the right way, or wow. in the best ways. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, you guys self learn basically how to code and all that. Like, wasn't it like? And then you guys um, venture into this line of work. Was it like that? Was it a difficult transition? Would you say, from like psychology to you know tech, and then geology to tech? Was it a difficult transition, or is it like oh, it's like because you've done this as a hobby, right? So it's like oh yeah, I'm just applying what I've already learned. That kind of situation, or how would you describe it? <laughs> Learning tech is, is uh, okay. Well, uh, like I said, I, I actually started learning how to program like in because if you have an interest in this kind of things, you can't do it. Can't do it really young, uh. <laughs> right? I actually started doing it when I was still in like secondary school, even primary school. I started. I did a bit of like basic programming and basic logic stuff. Oh my god! So it's just a matter of <laughs> getting used to it, I guess, and in in basically continuing to pick up new skills and continuing to pick up new things so actually I actually learned, I actually learned a lot from random interns and random people I worked with as well they like oh you should use this framework okay let's use this framework you know things like that mm. or at least for the, for the software programming side because actually the thing about this is the the, the languages and the, the the framework everything actually changes every year or every, every few months actually because mm. it's, it's a very fast evolving field so generally, it's, you cannot say that oh, uh, um, this is what I used ten years ago is relevant now, kind of thing. Mm. So regardless, I, regardless, I think there's there's no disadvantage or advantage of starting early or late. It's just a matter of whether you actually have the discipline to actually con- continue keep learning new things as well. Right, right. Pass Yeah, I would say um, for me also. If you have the the passion to do it, then you'll find a way. I feel like, because like um, I was also, um, it it was I don't know. I I feel like it, it's going to be hard because like you know my background is geology. So how how mm. am I going to get into this field? Alright. So what I did was I uh, learned some more and created basically a portfolio for myself of like a few projects. And that was the thing that enabled me to, um, you know, get into this field. I was like lucky enough to be accepted to to join Tanukot based on that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I would say, uh, you definitely need like materials, you know, supporting evidence to to get into the field that you are not, you don't have the background in. Right. And, yeah. So. Yeah, that requires a lot of like self effort on on your end. Yeah. Or in 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 Emil's case, you learn it from very young. Yeah, you, when you mentioned you studied from like what primary school, I just imagine like you studied in like in an actual school, or is that like you just self learn? Uh, self learn. Cause uh-huh. okay, we were, I think when when I was primary school, that was in the nineteen nineties and the early two thousands. That's when right. websites like Neopets. <laughs> Neopets, right? Right, Neopets was around, and a bunch of like interesting, interesting. The first generation of web-based 
uh, web-based like interactive software, <laughs> you know, things like that. <laughs> so that was like the dot-com bubble period and you know, there's a lot of funny things, you know, flash games, things like that. <laughs> so one of the things that was that got me interested is kind of because I like to do a bit of design and stuff. Right. So like new pets actually had this had this thing where you could create a little website for your pet. You know, to showcase your pet and showcase what you do. Uh, last last time there wasn't those fancy drag and drop things where you can, you know, kind of drag and drop and design a thing. You have to actually write it out. Mm. Right? So that's what I had to learn. And that was like the old, old, old version of HTML where I was like using using like font tags and like really interesting ways of writing it. Now, <laughs> now, now, now everything is split up very nicely into like the coding, sec- the JavaScript, uh, HTML and CSS. Last time was everything was just a embedded and bundled into one document. So that was my first exposure. Then uh, uh, besides that, also like uh, in secondary school, I was like doing blogging and all that. And, you know, like, that, was, that was before Facebook was a thing. So you, you want to have your own blog so your friends can see what you're doing. Then everyone wants to make, make it a nice, you know, nobody wants to use the standardized customized. Right. You want to want to customize it. So yeah, I took, a, I took a bit of effort to kind of learn how to, you know, do the special effects and stuff like that on the blog <laughs> and things like that. So that was like, HTML, I guess, and stuff like that. Yeah. CSS. Did you guys get into Tumblr? Because like that kind of reminds me of Tumblr, and then people oh, usually customize it. Um, well, during my during my during my era, I was blogger, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was even before WordPress became a thing. Or me- no, not Medium, right? Everyone is Medium. Right. Yeah, but before that was like what well, blogger, blogger, one of the first few players. Then there was the weird Windows Live page thing, and then there was. <laughs> Die. Then it was Life Journal, right? Oh my yeah, Life Journal. Wow, that brings back yeah. so much memories. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of interesting. Every all of them after Facebook came in, came in, came into play, all of them kind of died because Facebook can just do their own personal posting, everything. Right. And there's also like now it's a move towards even even smaller snippets. You know, like people's attention spans are spans are like, dropping. So now it's like Twitter, you know, or even like yeah. like TikTok. Those really micro service, micro content. Yeah. But last time, last time you actually wrote essays. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> we had yeah, the energy sandwich. to do that. Uh. Yeah. Uh, good thing that everything began with Neopets. That's so funny. <laughs> All right. I guess like to segue into like today's main topic, right? Okay. So like in the previous episode, Kevin, um, who was our first guest and also one of the co-founders of Tenderfoot, we've talked about like tech for good and like what it means, you know, what it means and why is it important, you know, based on his perspective. So I was like wondering. Um, maybe you would like to perhaps add in your own perspective, like what does tech for good mean, and like why is it important? Yeah. Um, like for, for tech for good in in a sense, right? Because a lot of times, like uh, for 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 public public good service delivery, uh, constituent delivery, so delivery of services to people is all human to human interactions, right? And but the problem with it is that there's that for for these human to human interactions, right? There's always a limit to manpower, lah. Nobody really, it's not really a, doing a social worker's not a glamorous job, you know, mm. right? Dealing with people with problems isn't exactly a very glamorous job. This I would say they're unsung heroes. And generally, you see that in the commercial space, right? You see that it's automatic ordering kiosks. You see so many ways that other companies, commercial companies, have digitalized just to increase the efficiency of their manpower, increase the viability of their good delivery. See so many startups coming up like Grab and all that doing all these these things to improve and digitalize certain workflows. But we don't see it as much, I will say, in the social service space because it it, it it's kind of sad because like it, it, it I mean on one hand people say that you you can't use the human touch, you know, for digitization in the in the right. in the in the social service space. But then again, right, you 
also shouldn't be restricted by the fact that you know there's there's a lack of resources and all that because I think a, a primary problem is that like for the social service space because of so many different stakeholders there's a lot of reporting requirements there's a lot of compliance requirements you don't want money, public money to be used for um, buying things that are not supposed to be bought <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. you know corruption right. and all that right so that's why there's a lot of reporting requirements and a lot to make sure that the money that people give for these causes are actually put to good use and technology can really be an enabler to allow you to at least high level of compliance right while also not increasing the compliance burden on the user because my personal take is that technology should be completely invisible or transparent to the end user they should not feel that they're using technology they should be like oh I'm just going on my business and things are happening behind the scenes I don't know how, how it works but it's like magic you know <laughs> right like you don't have to teach a person how to use an iPhone they pick out the iPhone they know how to use it so same like for any right. technology you build it shouldn't be need to be taught it should be as intuitive as just picking up the, the thing and starting to use it okay then um, the other thing of course for like besides the compliance requirements of course is the is the fact that COVID nineteen has kind of changed a lot of the way we do things as well. Yeah, right? yeah. So I think one of the re- one of the one of the important things is that if you can't meet the people, how are you going to do it, right? Right. So th- that's why it's important also to for digitization to help to ensure that services still get delivered in this age where you can't. It's more difficult to meet meet people, and while everyone's still very connected through the internet and all that, even rural, you know, like even rural areas of people people that usually previously couldn't be touched by internet. Right, like, like they already has a lot of a lot of people even have smartphones or like very basic internet connections. So mm-hmm. that, so in the sense that it's getting more accessible and cheaper as well. So it, it opens up a lot of opportunities to allow people to to you know provide service delivery for people who previously it was a bit harder to do as well. Right, right. and of course the last thing also with the, that I would say is the person who studies social science, you know, psychology and all that. Right, mm-hmm. is that technology really can help with data collection. Right. What I mean by data collection is this, because like, you you want to make sure that the, the therapy you're providing is all evidence-based. It's all provided in a way that uh, shows that you, whatever you're doing really works. Like, I mean, in the past, like 20, 30, 40 years ago, there were therapies that we all know are completely bogus now. They don't, they don't work, you know? <laughs> right? It's just snake oil, right? So the idea is that by making sure that our interventions for the, for the public space for good, right, are actually empirically backed and proven and how we do that by using utilizing technology to improve the efficiency of data collection and analysis, right? Right. I mean, okay, there are fancy words for it. Like some, some people call it machine learning and all, mm. all these words, but in the end, it's all about how you can use the data, you know, and provide better service, more tailored service to to users that, that are empirically proven. Right. And this is something that technology can be a very strong enabler of, I would say. Mm. All right. Would you like to add in as well? Mm, yeah, I completely agree with the things that Emil uh, has, has said, and he's been dealing with a lot of uh, agencies. And right. I would say, uh, uh, what uh, he can summarize from that is definitely very good points. And yeah, I would say um, it is important now more than ever for these uh, social service agencies to to get into uh, digitalizing their their processes and workflows because um, I would say unless something very weird happens to the world uh, we, <laughs> we are not going back to 
you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unless you know, like uh, the world war broke out, and then we don't oh. have technology, so uh, then we go back to writing things like as as the main main way of doing things. Uh, because like right now, um, the world is more connected than ever, and mm-hmm. I've read recently also that internet has become a human's right. Rather than just uh, like uh, mm. luxury, right, right. Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, that being said, it's the people who don't uh, adopt technology into their processes would be at loss. Rather than just like uh, it's something that is optional, I, f- I feel that way. Uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people also feel that way, based on how the world is today. So, like, you guys talked about, like, basically how, you know, just to summarize, I guess, like, tech, you know, it benefits the, the what do you call that, the SSAs and charities and how they do things. But, like, um, maybe, like, do you have any, like, interesting stories or examples you want to share to the listeners just to, like, further illustrate your point, I guess? Like, do you have any, like, examples you want to share? You know, some interesting experience? Hmm. Okay, so... <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> I have too many to list uh. But actually, actually one of the interesting things is that Context is very important in this space right. So Like what one of the things Is this uh, So for example um, A lot of the startups And people doing technology They always think that it's Okay I can just get everyone to install a mobile app You know mm. start using my services And even the stakeholders of the charity think that way But there is there is a slight problem as well <laughs> Like right. cause, uh, Number one If your, if your system was 100% reliant on having an internet connection, 100% reliant on having an iPhone, you know, things like that, mm. right? Then you're going to get into a problem when you start, you know, working with cases where, where it's not, where you're working with different groups of people that may not have the same access to the technology that you think they have, especially for service delivery. Uh, I mean, okay, I mean, let, let, let me just take a few a few cases in point. Uh, some from my personal experience, some from my experience interacting with other agencies. <laughs> right, okay, now, so, okay. Um, so, for example, if, if I was to do a... Uh, we actually did, did some work for migrant workers as well. Right, nice. and we were thinking of things like, oh, we can, you know, get them to, you know, get an app, install stuff, and do stuff, take some things to get information they want, or and things like that. But then we realized some things like, a lot of those migrant workers, they don't... They don't earn a lot of money, right? So their phone line gets occasionally their phone line gets cut, right? So there's no data and they can't receive calls. So the question is like, uh, if I can't receive calls, then how do I contact them? You know things like that, or like if I can't get internet, how do I do a video conference with them and things like that? So it's like kind of important to 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 tailor make the solution in a way that not just over engineer and just do it the same way, but think about the end user, who are they? End users in the scenarios you're looking at, and how to make sure that technology fits their what they actually use. Uh. I mean, the, the other, the other, uh, the other thing I also can more recent experience actually would be, I know like Malaysia is doing like like you know you know like vaccinated travel lanes quarantine. I travel a lot, right? So yeah, <laughs> right, one of one of those things was that oh, uh, you you come into the you come into the center, right? And they tell you oh, okay, we will we'll send you your your swap results on the airport via email. Or WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. It's a problem. Not every traveler has data. Right. I mean, I mean, technically, you could wander around and connect to the airport Wi-Fi, which is a bit spotty, you know. 
So it's like, I, like I'm like, why don't you just use SMS? I mean, SMS is kind of like everyone can receive SMS, right? You know, just put right. a phone for SMS. You don't need any special data plan or anything to receive SMS overseas. But it was like, no, you must use WhatsApp or like, <laughs> or like, or like what? All that required data. That was like. Okay, lucky I have a data plan and if not, I'll be a bit like, okay, I sit in the airport for three hours. I don't know whether I got my COVID results or not, you know? <laughs> uh, was this in like KL? Was this like in Singapore and KL? Like the whole uh, result uh, thing? Oh, only KL requires you to stay in the airport. Like Singapore, you can go home first. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and it's like, for communications about SMS. Yeah, so. uh, I see. <laughs> Keep this in mind. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's why, that's why I like SMS as a medium of communication because it's it's significantly more accessible to a larger group of people. Mm-hmm. Even though we, you can't reply SMS, not everyone has free SMSs to reply, but you receiving messages from SMS is actually the most convenient way for most people. Of course, there are some problems because the SMS protocol isn't the most secure, like email, so you can get scam messages and stuff. Actually, like recently in the news... Some people got scammed because they received an SMS, they thought it was from the bank, and then they entered their credentials, and then things went haywire, they lost a lot of money. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then, actually, uh, uh, like you mentioned before, like you were, uh, the, the whole migrant worker, like some of them, they don't have access to like certain, like, like you want to build apps for them and all that, and but then some of them don't have the access to the right technology. Then how do you go about that situation then? So normally what we do is that uh, we're planning out we interview and understand, get an understanding of the users pretty carefully first. Then, normally what I do is I do a series of fall, what I call fallbacks, right? Mm-hmm. So, I always try to meet, meet them through different channels. And if this channel doesn't work, fall back to the next available channel. So, for example, I can try WhatsApp first. If WhatsApp doesn't work, then I fall back to you know, SMS. If SMS really doesn't work, then you fall back to other means, you know? Mm-hmm. Things like that. So, for communications and... For example, uh, for the micro worker case, we found out that, that the micro workers have in their dormitories in Singapore, they have uh, internet access because they provide Wi Fi. Right. Uh, they don't call time. So it means that instead of uh, the assumption that, oh, you can just use call, call, you can call in free incoming and all that, why don't you do, da- do database call? So we set up like a, a, a means for them to log into a website to do date, to get to actually send calls through a, da- through a, da- from a database site, uh, in a sense. Mm, I see, I see. Maybe Fazan also has something to share. Like, do you have any interesting mm. stories? Interesting stories. Hmm, let's see. So, um, I would say, what's interesting about uh, this line of work? I would say, mm. uh, can I share about that? Sure. Yeah, it's uh, for me. It would be mainly. I would say like programming or development in itself is basically problem solving. Mm. That's what Emil taught me very early on. Mm-hmm. And being able to use that to solve real world problems. Uh, for example, at the, start, at, at the starting time of the pandemic, we actually had a lot of people contacting us about... Um, they want to keep on doing like running the organization but their processes require them to be on site mm-hmm. for example these call centers because these call centers uh, used to use physical phones like the real phone so they need to be there obviously because it's right. a, you know wired phone or yeah they need to be there so how do they keep their organization 
running if that's the case when people are not supposed to you know go to work physically so uh yeah we looked into services that are uh, suitable in terms of like their budget and uh if they if that service can meet their needs and then after we f- uh find that out we talk to them will this work you know with uh, uh we tell them the features of this service and then we we set it up for them for example mm-hmm. uh now they they don't have to rely on going to the site to use a physical phone they can just use um their browser so if it's on a browser then that opens up a lot of possibilities means you can do it with your laptop you can use it with your phone because uh, a lot of these devices usually comes with browsers Mm-hmm. So that opens up a lot of possibilities in terms of them being able to do their work anywhere as well as um since it works on a phone even right. they don't need to get a expensive laptop or you know it will help out with their planning uh to cater for this workflow. So um yeah I I'm happy to say that we've helped Uh, a, a few organizations for this particular case, uh, a cloud PBX, you could say, basically um, mm-hmm. uh, online telephoning uh, system for you know call centers. So, yeah, uh, it's something that is practical and and it works. And I would say, is yeah, the interesting thing is like technology allows this to be possible. Mm. And Yeah, it it really helps with a uh, a real world problem. So yeah, I find that interesting actually. If if we know where to look, then there's prob- probably possibly something that we can we can help with. Yeah, from what I understand, like from you know from your stories and stuff, you're also helping like in a sense like also helping to make technology like more accessible to these organizations as well like, like you said like technology opens many doors to a lot of uh, like more opportunities but like from what i understand you're al- you're also helping like to open these doors if that makes sense so like you know personally i feel there's like a there's a that feels very it sounds very amazing like how but like how do you guys personally feel you know being able to play a part in this like you know making technology more accessible to like these charities and SSAs who you know come to you for help Like how do you feel, you know, being able to play a part in that role? Oh, okay, so um, all right, I'll go first. So <laughs> definitely, <coughs> it is something that is uh, rewarding in terms of uh, being able to, in a like at least in like my role, in a small way, try to make the world a better place. Uh, even you know if it's just a small thing. Because I believe that everyone has a purpose, and we are all capable of making this world a better place, no matter how small. So, uh, that's very nice words. <laughs> yeah. So I I feel like uh, having the opportunity to help by being in this position, in this place that I currently am right now, is very rewarding and yeah it's a yeah it's a <laughs> very, very rewarding. rewarding yeah 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 well 
I guess you would echo the sentiment, or? Uh, well, yeah, I would say so. I think I think one of the interesting things is like, I can't I can't go full circle in a sense. Like, <laughs> like I I mean, this is something I was keen on since I, mean, I studied psychology and all that, right? All right I was kind right. of keen on doing some of this work already. Right. It's just that instead of like like instead of being the person probably doing the you know doing the 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 actual social work, I'm actually helping the help helping the helpers, like helping the social. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. uh that's kind of interesting lah, because I can I say live vicariously through what I'm doing again. <laughs> Right. And I think also I'm in a, in a better position because as, as as this I can kind of direct how the general state of the space goes in terms of technology they adopt, in terms of direction they use and influence how policymakers also look into into how how to help the the, the sector as a whole. Because right, they, they actually rely on our expertise to actually understand like these are what the needs of the agencies are, these are the real pain points. And also how can I make it better? How do I do like a national level architecture or national level policies to help the nonprofits to kind of move forward? I would say. Mm, right. So, like speaking of like adopting technology and all that, like um, one of the major reason like a lot of like organizations move online these days is because of like the pandemic, and then because like they're also following all the rules and regulations in place, like um. Singapore had the circuit breaker, and then Malaysia had the MCO, like the movement control order. So like, um, you know, and it's been about two years, and we're still ongoing. So do you think like, um, SSAs and charities these days are more open to uh, adopting technology, like, you know, especially like if you compare it to before the pandemic happened, do you think they're more open to it nowadays, based on your observation? Well, uh... I wouldn't say whether they're open to it or not. It's more of whether they feel the need to it to do it. Because <laughs> I have met I have met people who are right. don't really like it. They're like, uh, I want to, you know, you know, it's the same like, you, know, you, you go to like normal normal bosses and all that. They're like, I want my workers to come back to office now. You know, right? <laughs> like, you know, that's 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 really very normal. Mm. So like, people's mindsets don't change overnight. But people's right. uh, mo- there are other motivations besides mindset. I would say. And the pandemic has became a pressure point right. for people to to move in that particular direction, and has kind of kickstarted it. So there are people who already had already intended to, and they have sped up what was in, inevitable. And for those who like refuse to do it, they are basically given a kick lah to just like you just better do it lah. And then hopefully by the end of it, they, when they realize that there are actually some productivity gains and some benefits of it, they will be more open to it. I'll say mm. right, because it's usually. I wouldn't say that the pandemic caused people to be more open, but the pandemic forced people to adopt certain things. And yeah. through the process of adoption, and if it's a good adoption, then it will help them to realize that it's actually not as difficult as you think it is. Uh. Mm. Do people have like, um, like you know, when you during your consult during your like day to day with the clients, right? And then they like say that this is like their first attempt to like digitalize their um the way they do things like do they have like like a perception to how like the the process usually works do they like is there like a incident like they think oh uh i'm going to digitalize this it's going to be like an instant thing you know it's just oh yeah yeah (laughs) oh yeah so how do you deal with that kind of yeah Situation. Manage expectations, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw some cautionary tales. Uh, like, mm. you, do this, you need to be careful about that. 
and basically lay out the, the paradigm and the limits of where technology can bring because mm, no matter how you look at it there, there is a price to pay for most of these stuff and the benefits sometimes the the benefits do not outweigh the the cost as well lah. so like for example like 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 you know like some 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 people like say oh they they heard of block words uh, of buzz block words buzzwords like blockchain and and you know machine learning AI you know all these kind of things and they have no idea what it actually means then you have to you have to bring them down to earth and like actually uh, let's start with this first you know uh, yeah uh, you know when you mentioned that it actually reminds me of this one video I saw on YouTube where they're like the clients is like oh but aren't you going to use AI or whatever has that ever happened. Has that ever happened in your, you know, in, in for either of you lah? Like they come to you like, oh yeah, I want to, I want this thing. Are you gonna, are you not gonna use AI or blockchain or whatever those buzzwords they throw at you? Have they? Is there like, like circumstances like this? Have you ever faced it before? Would you say? Ah, luckily I usually talk to. Okay, the people that you do throw this kind of buzzwords tend to be management level. Mm, right. <laughs> Right. So, like, most of the time, and the, the people I interview are largely because I I make it a point to focus on for my consultancies to focus on the people who are actually doing the work, like, the social workers and all that. Mm-mm-mm. Typically, I do not get so much of that, but there are, there have been cases that, that I mean that people have been like kind of like <laughs> you know ask certain things that technology obviously can't deliver. Then right. just a matter of managing expectations, though. Yeah. Oh, you haven't? Do you have any experiences with this? Mm, yeah, I remember uh, an instance or two where these buzzwords were thrown in. But um, <laughs> usually what we do if we hear those kind of things is we try to ask them what do they want to achieve actually. Because uh, sometimes you don't even need like those buzzwords to, to achieve what they want to achieve actually. They just so, sound very cool to say. I guess. Yeah, it's, it sounds cool. <laughs> I think, you know, like we can possibly put it there just for the sake of it, but uh, <laughs> what's important is the 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 original like the the their goal is achieved. So we usually just like try to ask them what what do they want actually. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you do you actually go to them and like oh so what what exactly do you guys want? Do you actually do that? Or do you like? Is there another way you guys do it? Where yeah. <laughs> I guess straightforward. I guess being straightforward helps. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah. We're actually running out of time. So I guess like before we end things, like um, you know, we've talked about like the benefits and tech of tech and tech for good and all that. So do you like have anything to say or like a word of advice to SSAs and charities? You know, every anyone who's involved in the social sector who may still be you know, on the fence to, like, digitalize their, the way they do things in the organization, you know, especially those who may need it, but they're still, like, on the fence, you know, like, they're not sure, like, they're not sure whether they want to do it, you know, and if it weren't for the fact, if it weren't for the whole circumstances that we're in, they wouldn't have moved online, they wouldn't have, like, you know, done things differently, but, yeah, do you have any, you know, words of advice to say to them as well? I mean, my general take is that, don't think of it as tech, I just think of it as how do I improve my processes? How do I make these more efficient? How do I make my, you know, improve my processes, improve my general service delivery standards to to be better than what it currently is? Really, it's about, about process improvement, about improving 
the organization as overall, rather than let's adopt tech for the sake of adopting tech. <laughs> I would I, I, I say, say that that's actually more important. I actually really don't believe in over-engineering solutions, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, I also agree with ML. Um, the bottom line is to improve the process and make it more accessible, especially uh, if we are able to overcome the uh, physical limitations wherever possible, and where where we wherever we can save time or like manpower for the organization by streamlining or improving certain parts of the processes, then we we would do that. So, um, in terms of like the advice, it's more towards yeah think think of it that way as well, like uh like what Emil said, and um, if even if like it is something that is new to them, you know, some people are resistant to change. Um, it's possible for it to be an alternative rather than uh, a complete change. Um, mm. Yeah, right. maybe that way um, they are able to accept it better because, like, uh, maybe they can still do it the way that they knew how. But um, yeah, it's a every case is different. Uh, so what we did was, or are still doing, we interview them and we do like sessions to figure out their pain points and their current processes, and then we can uh, use that information to uh, bring in our like expertise in terms of what we know in terms of in the technology space. Right. Uh, to meet, to find like, the best way to that caters for their needs, as well as you know if they have resistance to change, then what part of the uh, we can break it down basically and basically find the the best fit solution for for their case. And yeah, every case is different. So yeah, just keep an open mind, I guess, for for successes. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think keeping an open mind would be probably like the most important advice I would say towards anything, to be honest. Like trying new things. Yeah. But yeah, um, I guess, you know, that's, you know, we've reached the end of our episode. So um, thank you again, you know, for sparing the time to have this conversation with me. And I hope like the, you know, whoever's who, you know, our listeners like benefited from this conversation as much as I did. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who uh, tune in to the podcast and I hope to see you soon in the next episode. And that was today's episode. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and leave a review. It would mean a whole lot to us. You can also head over to our website, thundercode.org, to gain access to our free digital resources. See you next time!